basic instructions before leaving earth. This is Bible Radio, the internet radio ministry of Calvary Chapel St. Paul in Minnesota. And this is Sunday Morning Live. Calvary Chapel St. Paul is a non-denominational church dedicated to the teaching and living out of God's Word. And now, Sunday Morning Live. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We're going to start back in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And uh, Acts chapter 16, but actually we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And so um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this morning. And that, God, that we can leave here today more on fire, more convicted, more committed, more submitted, more in love with you than we came here this morning in Jesus' name. You know, so what we've seen in the first uh, half of, uh, or the first part, part one of Acts is chapters 1 through 12, and that's predominantly Peter. Uh, We have here in the last chapter the last words of Peter in the the book of Acts, Uh, and he's the one that, that spoke up. There was a controversy that was going on. It didn't have to be a controversy, but uh, where two or more gathered in Jesus' name, I guess there's a, he wants us to agree on things, but I guess where there's two or more Christians together, there's, there's controversy. Uh, so this group is going to be later be called the Judaizers. They're going to get an official title, and they're going to like the title, by the way. In other words, it was, it was meant to label them, but they're actually going to like the title Judaizers. Because they, they're saying that you have to become a Jew, uh, then circumcised for you guys, and then you, you, you go on and then you can become a Christian. But that was never the intent. Peter found out all meant all. He had that aha moment and says, hey, it looks like the Gentiles can get saved. And so, um, quoting in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 16, he's quoting Amos uh, 9, verses uh, 11 and 12. After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will uh, set it up. The temple's in existence right now. The Holy Spirit's telegraphing prophetically to the nation of Israel. They're not going to have a temple. And we know 30 years later, um, from from this time he's saying this, we know 30 years later in 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. So this whole thing, this whole man-made theology, remember, let's, let's see how we got here. There never should have been synagogues. Never. And because there were synagogues, because they were dispersed around the world, they said, hey, let's do a synagogue. Let's do a house of prayer. And it, and it was the de facto temple. They couldn't do sacrificing. Uh, they couldn't keep kosher. They couldn't keep the law. They couldn't keep the Sabbath. They couldn't do all these things because there was no temple to sacrifice in. And then within that synagogue system, two prominent groups rose up, Pharisees and Sadducees. There was a bunch of other ones, but the two prominent ones are the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees were hyper-spiritual. You know, they're the ones who kind of probably came up, most likely came up with the tradition there at the pools of Bethesda when the water stirring uh, you know, that uh, that's an angel dipping its wing in. And if you can get you get to the water first, you get healed. But look, look at the group system there. They had to, all the people who were infirmed had to make a deal with each other. It's my turn next to get in the water. No one get in the water before I do. And people say, well, there's no healing going on because you all rush the water at the same time. And we think that's ridiculous. Really? Really? How long was it after you saw the movie A Wonderful Life? How long after did you find out that theology, every time you hear a bell ring, an angel gets its wings? How long did you think that? Until, I mean, just think about it. You're right there like, oh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. And so, uh, spoiler alert, that's a wonderful life there. So there's all this man-made stuff that goes on. And with that, you have synagogue rulers. You have this whole religious system that is set up. And now you, they're not even following Mosaic Judaism. It's rabbinical Judaism, and that's what's even followed today. And so these Judaizers are going and following after because where Gentiles are getting saved, and they're saying, oh, you, you don't understand, they, they, didn't, they, they didn't explain it right. Then how do we have all these experiences? If we're not saved, if the Holy Spirit's not in us, how come people are rising from the dead? How come the blind see, the lame walk? How come these miraculous signs and wonders are happening? How come 
uh, we're praying and the Holy Spirit's ministering to us like none of them before. When I had a religion that was pantheonism, talking as a pagan, pantheonism, or I thought I was my own God. How is all that has changed now? And you're telling me I'm really not a Christian, but yet I've never had this experience before receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. How can you tell me now that I'm, then what is this? Well, so here he's quoting Amos 9 and 11 and 12. So the Holy Spirit's given a tip off there. And then it also, again, they're quoting. So we've seen in the second part of, of Acts from chapters 13 on, a lot of scripture is being quoted. And, and a lot of prophecy is, is being told about. Because in the first 12 chapters, it was just the Jews who were getting saved. And they already knew the scriptures. They knew somewhat of it, more than the pagans did. And so after this, oh, again, some would say in 52 AD, 20 years after the ascension, the, the rising of Jesus Christ and going into heaven, that there was this council. It, there's, there's no word here in Acts that says council. That's just a word that we came up with. Uh, and the supposed leadership. And so here, that was held in 52 AD, and they, and they had quite a discussion. And here were the two questions. Are Gentiles under the law? And what about the messianic kingdom? Uh, the restoration of Israel, Christ on David's throne in Jerusalem. Uh, so you have to understand, there's still people who are believing that it's, uh, again, that, uh, that the Messiah, is Jesus really going to be on, on the throne? Do you know maybe one out of maybe 10 evangelical churches? Uh, you, you get a good dose of God's word here. But you go and start to ask your friends who are Christians or believers. They could be either or believers. They might be going to heaven. But Christians, who knows? Minnesotans, right? So you go and ask them, do you actually believe that Jesus will sit on a physical throne in Jerusalem? You'd be shocked. One out of, it's typically one out of ten evangelical churches Maybe. This is one of them, Calvary Chapel, that will say, yeah. And not only so, that, not, not, that for 1,960 years, when the temple was destroyed and Israel didn't really exist as a nation, you had fanatics like me and, and other Bible people that, that, again, before my time, you can get in your Haley's Bible handbook, uh, you can see in the 1920s, it says, well, if this is going to happen and Jesus is going to sit on the physical throne there in Jerusalem, then that means Israel has to be regathered together as a nation. And what did everyone say? Oh, that's never happened before. That, and that, I think that's a great testimony. That's never happened before. The, the closest that any ancient people group that was ever disbanded, that kept their, non, their, their national identity was the ancient Chaldeans, for maybe 300 years before they were finally assimilated. Finally, they just gave up and they were totally assimilated to wherever they were. So everyone says, that's never happened before. I like when that's said. That's never happened before. I like it for two reasons. When we venture out in faith, because it's never happened before, we won't make one mistake. Because we're the first ones doing it, right? And so you had those like Haley's and others saying, well, then Israel's got to regather as a nation. And, th and then, but you had other people say, well, I don't want God to sound dumb. And so when people say, well, if you believe the Bible and you believe it's fundamentally true and you believe those are, well, then Israel doesn't exist. And no nation has ever, has ever, up until 212 years ago, the rapture of the church was never questioned and the reestablishment of Israel was never questioned. And about 212 years ago, uh, some scholarly dudes started, uh, well, actually 242 years ago, started saying that the church is spiritual Israel. And, and I've read their literature because they felt like it was embarrassing because, you know, educated people says, well, Israel doesn't exist. No nation has ever regathered together. And they didn't want to. They, so they, they were doing something for God. They were making God sound smart. They did, these are also the same guys who said, well, God used evolution as well. You know, because, you know, those, are, because, it, and they started using metaphors and analogies and allegory. And that's where this whole replacement thing of the church is spiritual Israel. Well, if you believe that, then you're going through the tribulation and you're, you're missing out on the rapture. The rapture is at the end or the mid. 
rapture of the church. You got all these things going on. So here, two big questions. Are the Gentiles under the law? And then their biggest agenda or their biggest thing is came out with some sub things is what about the messianic kingdom? It, what about the restoration of Israel? Restoration of Israel, when they're having this quote unquote council, Israel exists. So what about the Christ on David's throne in Jerusalem? Is the church spiritual Israel? And again, it's even vital today. And the synagogue, well, Revelation chapter 2 and Romans 2, 28 and 29 and John chapter 8, verse 44 talks about the synagogue of Satan and the teachers that continue to be an issue. James, again, in this council, concluding that we shouldn't put any burden on him because, by the way, we couldn't live under that burden either. And Peter giving that, that little twist there says, and, and we can be saved as they are. Not that they can be saved as, as we are, but we can be saved as they are. Look at the freedom and the grace that they have in Christ. So now, go with me to Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, this has all been settled. They go back. Everyone's much rejoicing is happening here. And then uh, Acts chapter 30, uh, 15, verse 36. And some days after Paul said, un, said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. Many days, not just like a week or whatever. They, they've been here for a couple of years now. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from uh, Pamphylia and, and went not with them to the work. So the first place they went to, the first stop that they have, John Mark says, I'm out of here. I can't handle this. And, and now we're going to see something here. Listen, the Bible does not fail to mention the sins and successes of godly men and women. Praise God, our names aren't in there. We can write our own books, but here, verse 39, and, it, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder, one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. Remember, Silas is one of those dudes who came up from Jerusalem, kind of hung out with them, and says, I like what's happening here in Antioch. I'm, I'm sticking around here. I like that. That's some of, that's some of you here. You came during the, the scamdemic and the lockdowns and all that stuff because those churches were closed. You came here, you found we were open, and we said, hey, you guys are welcome. You are, you know, you are refugees. You're welcome to come here and hang out here. And when your churches open back up, go, God bless you, go back. Some of you have filtered back. And they said, even before the scamdemic, our church wasn't like this church. I'm, I'm sticking. I'm sticking around. Okay, you're welcome. All right. Go clean the toilet now. Get, be useful, all right? When you were just here, you were a refugee. Now you're part of the body of Christ. Go do something, all right? This contention. So he says, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to take also, took Mark, and he sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. Who? Paul. We're not going to see Barnabas again for quite some time. And this contention. Now, again, this is Barnabas. He's the one who reached out and ministered to, to Saul of Tarsus and brought him in and introduced him to the apostles. This is, this is his nature. This is his style. This is what he's like. This is what he's, he's known for. But what in Acts chapter 13 did God call them to do? Set aside Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry. And then somewhere on that missionary journey, John Mark takes off, and somewhere it turned to Barnabas and Paul. Paul started taking his, calling his, his Hebrew name in the, by the Greek version, Paul, instead of Saul. And then it switched to Paul and Barnabas, where Barnabas start, where is taking a, a subservient role, and Paul is now leading in those things. And then when they come back to the church of Antioch, a couple of two to three years later, Barnabas is pastoring the church. Paul is ministering there. They're doing these things. And Paul says, let's go back now and let's go minister. Let's go back and see who's walking with the Lord. Let's, let's go back and see the work. I'm excited. But Barnabas, and this is where you got to make a distinction. When it comes to ministry, you're going to have to make a decision, ministry or friendship, ministry or family, ministry, what God's calling you to do or that which is in your nature. In other words, you, you might have a certain disposition in how you take care of people and do things, and that might override 
obeying the Lord. What, we don't really hear of Barnabas anymore. Oh, we're going to get into Galatians on Thursday nights and we'll see Barnabas and Peter not in the greatest of light. But Paul chose Silas and they departed. And when he went through uh, Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches, so again, you can go back to your Bibles there and go back to the pages that are stuck together, look at the maps there. I don't know which routes they took, but I know the cities they went to, so I don't care how they got there, but they went back to these cities here. And then in chapter 16, it says here, Then came he to Derby and to Lystra. Remember Lystra? Where Paul attended a rock concert, right? Remember he got stoned? All right, there you go. That's what happens at a rock concert, right? You get stoned. All right, so and Derby and Lystra, a little different for him. I'm back. Oh, that guy's back again. All right. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Timothy, we're going to be on. The son of a certain woman, which was a, a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, uh, which was well reported of the brethren where, where at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul uh, have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in the house uh, and, and those which were those who were in the quarters they, they knew all that his father was a Greek. In Judaism, if your mother's a Jew, you're a Jew. Okay? In Judaism, if your father's a Jew and your mother's a Gentile, you have to convert. And so here, they didn't do this with Silas. Because of the weakness of those around. Again, this is the same thing that the council or James asked. Hey, you're going to be places where there's synagogues. Could you, as Gentiles, not flaunt your, paraphrased by chick, not flaunt your bacon and your ham sandwiches at the potlucks. You're going to be around synagogues. You're going to be around the Jewish people. As a, not a commandment, but as a request. Could you abstain from, you know, can you kind of eat a little kosher? Or can you not? They think they're totally kosher. Could you just... You know, not eat the animals with the blood in them or strangled or diverse things. Just And readily admitting that they are the weaker brethren. That's why the Apostle Peter says, hey, we could be saved like them someday. A ham sandwich is in our future, trust me. <laughs> so maybe we could be like them, but they have that grace and the freedom. Let's not put any of all these other burdens of the law on this. They can't keep it. And we know 30 years later, the temple's destroyed, so they're not going to be able to. There are no Sabbath law-keeping Jews to this day. They have synagogues around the world. Uh, they even call some of their synagogues, uh, synagogues temples, which they're not. They're not sacrificing. They've come up with all types of man-made religions during, the, uh, during Yom Kippur or during that Day of Atonement, uh, that time of Passover, a month before. Uh, a lot of my friends have been in Israel in this, a month before Passover, and they do a lot of gifts. If I wanted a set of tires for my car, I could get them from my friend. I mean, they try to out, they try, the month before Passover, there's a lot of gift giving going on. That's man-made. And they're trying to, they're, they're almost practicing Eastern mysticism, the yin and the yang. In other words, your, your good outweighs your bad. And so here, they're going through and they're encouraging. Timothy's joining up with them. So for the weaker brethren, again, he gets circumcised. So let's just get this one out of the way because they keep saying you're a Jew. Silas wasn't compelled to be circumcised. And as they went through, and then you understand that, look what Timothy needed to do. For the work of the ministry and for the weaker brethren, the Judaizers, the, 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 the Jewish believers, this is why Paul's later going to go on to say, to, to, I'm, I'm all things to all men. To a Gentile, I'm a Gentile. To a Jew, I'm a Jew. So I can minister the grace of God. And so this kept being an affront to them all the time. And so he just did that. We see that. We'll see how Paul explains that even further in Corinthians there. And even Galatians. He goes on to even explain this thing. So you can read ahead in Galatians. And so here, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that which were ordained with the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So now they're going around to all the churches all right, all the believers that they've met, they're meeting in house churches and they're, they're grouping together and they're talking and says, hey, look at these letters. Because there's many other Jews who are having that moment. They're like, oh, Gentiles are getting saved. And, they're, and now they're fellowshipping and coming together. Just imagine what those potlucks are like. I'm not going to get into it with my brother and my sister in here. This is a host church. 
and we rent from them. And they've just asked us to simply keep, you know, keep kosher. And that's their dietary thing. But even in within the Seventh-day Adventists, some are vegetarian, some are vegan, and some are absolutely not. And, and, and some do eat the, the swine and the, and the shellfish. They're just saying in, in, in this premise, we, in this building, this facility. In fact, when you are here during the summer, there's a group, they call themselves missionaries or canvassers, and they come and we, I like ministering to them, I like taking care of them. They're here. To be on that missions team, you have to be vegan, not vegetarian, vegan. Everyone has to agree to be vegan. And there's some who are vegetarian, but they eat fish, they have a hard time. But that's the cost that they do to be on this two, three month, or this two month uh, excursion that they have, that they experience in the Seventh day Adventist church here. And they, they love when we come in because they're here on Sunday morning. So if you're here during the summers, you'll, you'll see that group here. And, but they agree to be vegan. So what, what do we do as a church? I take them all out to Jay Selby's because they're starving being vegan and vegetarian, anyways. And I take them out to Jay Selby's, a vegan restaurant on Selby Avenue, Selby and Victoria. Really great desserts, by the way. I don't know what those vegans do, man, but that is amazing, the desserts they do. Amazing. All right. But uh, I take them all out there because they're all starving. They're all poor. And I said, hey, let's, we as a church, you can come and join us. And we come and sit down and, and then been feeding them all these last years. And they give me all the inside scoop of the Seventh-day Adventist and the different beliefs and where people are. Stuff. There's some people there who are, as the Seventh-day Adventists call, say, flesh eaters. And they say, but I want to be on this team, and so I, I'm vegan for the summer. And the moment this team is over, I'm not vegan this summer. <laughs> Do you understand? There's a cost involved for doing some types of ministry. And this is what Timothy is paying the cost here. So he can go and minister, and that's not an issue. And so he says here, they went through the cities and delivered the decrees for to keep that which were ordained of the apostles and the elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. The churches. Go and make disciples, and then when there's a bunch of disciples, where do they meet? The church. What is the church? The people are the church. The people aren't here for the church. The church is here for the people. You and I are the church. And so here... They're established, they're coming together. And so when the churches are established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of uh, Galatia and were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And underline, we're going to come back to that in a moment. They were held up. They wanted to go. Paul's like, this is where I want to go. And I'm not talking about the Orient Asia, what, you know, it's Turkey. Uh, uh, we're talking Asia Minor. We're talking that part of the world. All right, and where we're later going to see the invasion of Europe, because where the that little that little slip between Asia and when Europe is, there's just a few miles, and they're not they're only connected by waterway. If they connect a bridge there, the whole continent and everything would be connected. And so there we're going to see that there they, they, we can't go into Asia, and then they, they want to go and they preach the word, but I want to do it. So I don't know what that exactly looked like. I'll give you some of my own experiences. And after they were come to Myasia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So listen, I'm, we're going and encouraging all the churches. I'm trying to go over there. I mean, what's the deal? I want to preach the gospel. We're going to find out later that they know again that the Holy Ghost. We're going to see that, that Luke's going to be joining them here shortly, and it's going to switch from, notice when it switches from, because remember, Look at chapter 1 of Acts. This is Luke writing this. And uh, the account, and giving an account. And, and in this chapter, it's going to switch from him telling you about it to mentioning the word we. And that's first mention. If you ever study in the Bible, underline words of first mention. And he's going to say we. And now he's going to not just give what those guys' accounts was, but where they picked him up at. And so, again, we know now after the fact that it was the Holy Spirit. They wanted to go, they wanted to go, but it was the Spirit forbidding them, say, not to go. But what do you think, it, what do you think it, it was like at the beginning? Satan, get thee behind me. I've, I've prayed those prayers. Hey, I want to do this because, you know, I want to do a good thing. But we're going to see later, there wasn't a whole lot of prayer and fasting. They went with, hey, we just want to go spread the gospel. 
We just want to go do this. Why, why wouldn't the Holy Spirit want us to go there? Eh, he knows things you and I don't know. So he forbids them from going there. And so we know this afterwards, that it was the Holy Spirit. And then they passing by Asia down to Troas, and a, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Assuredly, see that word we? This is where Luke is picked up. And we know that he's Greek. And we know that he's most likely was in Macedonia. Was the vision that he saw, was, was, it, was it Luke? I don't know. I don't know who it is and stuff. It's amazing all the books and the volumes and volumes of books that have been written about who that man in the vision was and all the quirky doctrines and all the things. So I can definitely affirm to you here, verse 10, I don't know who that man in the vision was. Confidently. I am confidently, I do not know. But I know Luke is here. And so we endeavored, and we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly, and gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course uh, to Samatharia, and uh, the next day to Nepolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of the port of Macedonia and a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out to the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which were uh, uh, resorted uh, thither. This thing about Philippi. Again, you can go to your Haley's Bible handbook or you can do a search on this. But Philippi was, uh, was a decisive battle. All right? Uh, not Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor uh, Anthony and Cleopatra, those are real actual people. Now, the movies they did, Elizabeth Taylor and Anthony, uh, Richard Burton, that's not real, but those are actors. But these are real people. So this was a decisive battle, ending the Roman Republic in 42 B.C. That's when the Caesars became Caesars. That's when the Senate and everything, that's when in 42 B.C. Brutus and Cassius, uh, Gaius, uh, the murderers of Julius Caesar, defeated by the combined forces of Mark Anthony and Octavian, who later became Emperor Augustus. Because of their assistance, Octavian granted Roman citizenship to the Philippians when he became emperor. I just want to let you know this whole thing about gold and silver and precious metals. Salt. Salt was the commodity of the day. Salt was the gold of the day. Salt. And Philippi is near a great salt deposit, and they paid the Roman army in salt. I don't know if they needed saltier food, but salt was the commodity. That was the, that was the precious mineral of the day. And so they paid the Roman army, uh, Octavian's army there, so they granted them Roman citizenship. In other words, when you were in Philippi, you were in Rome. It wasn't a colony. It wasn't a township. If you, just like Rome, so you are Roman citizens. If you are born in Philippi, you are a Roman citizen. And to these Philippians, again, uh, when he became emperor, he did this. First of the district, uh, city of Macedonia, again, a colony, uh, Ampolius or Neapolis to be in the chief city. And again, they were rivals with one another. Note Paul's epistle, our citizenship is what? Because when we're going through Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. And so then we look at the strange guidance that got them there. Paul must have been puzzled. I would have been. Uh, quarreling with Barnabas, he parted from him. We don't hear much of Barnabas anymore. He wanted to preach the gospel. And understand what the leadership is. Barnabas was the lead. Barnabas was pastoring in Antioch. Barnabas was the one entrusted by the apostles in the Jerusalem church to come and to take over the Gentiles' uh, churches in, in Antioch. But Barnabas was the guy. But then the leadership had to say, um, no, we have to recommend Paul because this is what you guys are called to do. So we've got to go with them. And so Barnabas took his, again, family. I, 
I make the note here, family takes more people out of ministry than anything else. And Barnabas, he loves his, and this is his nephew, by the way, loves his nephew. We're going to see that Barnabas, again, restored John Mark, and we're going to see in 2 Timothy that even Paul says, hey, bring John Mark with you, Timothy, because he's, he's, he's ready now. He wasn't ready to go on this other thing. You know, that's why Paul can emphatically put in the Bible there, he can put in the New Testament, trust to a faithful men and reliable men who can be able to, test, to teach the word of God. Test and approve faithful men so they can continue on the work of the ministry. And so here he wanted to preach the gospel, so he pressed through Syria, Cilicia, and came to Derbe and Lystra, and there he met Timothy. And he wanted to go on to uh, a proconsular of Asia, and he could not do it. He was sick. He was ill. We're going to know from Galatians and in Corinthians. He got sick. He is ill. Infirmity is his flesh. Uh, they uh, was spent on him. Uh, it was necessary that he should take another direction. He went into Galatia. So if you look at the maps there, he couldn't get into Europe. He couldn't get into that part of Macedonia. Then he turned back again. And there was no reason that he could, uh, he could understand it's a picture of, again, the, again, the cross currents of this body of water there. It's a very dangerous body of water between Asia and Europe. It's a picture, again, of difficulty, perplexity, darkness. Then he felt the lure of Bithynia and that he would go there. Again, trying to get into Europe. Why wouldn't God want me to go there? No, he must go west, and he went on perplexed. Then he came in the vision of the man of Macedonia, and when he had uh, talked it over with Luke in later days, and Luke would write the story with the, the advantage of hindsight, we can see what, what happened there. And so here, the strange we know that it was the spirit that forbade them, his preaching in Asia. He's going to learn some valuable lessons here. It's the spirit of Jesus that drove him ever and ever towards Troas. The guidance of the Holy Spirit is validated by the results. We're going to see that in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. And the Spirit was subsequently recognized by these men, not always by the flaming visions, not by words of, that articulate in, in human ears, but by circumstances, by commonplace things, by difficult things, by dark things, by disappointing things. The, the man, the Spirit, listen, this is what I've had to take away, and I'll, and I'll give you an antidote here. The man, the spirit will guide is the man who is, a, is in an attitude in which it is possible for the spirit to guide him. An attitude of life, of loyalty to the Lord, of faith in the guidance of the spirit and constant watchfulness. It is this watcher for the Lord who sees the Lord work in all these things. Um, there's things that I have adapted. There's things that I have, I have uh, come across that I do. And, and so for me, when I got out of the Marine Corps uh, active service, I was still obligated for another three years, but I was able to not have to report in and wear a uniform for a few years. And so I wanted to travel. I always wanted to travel across the United States. And by the time I got out of the Marine Corps, my situation with the state of California had cleared up and I got my driver's license back and uh, got insurance and I had a Volkswagen bus. I had a Volkswagen bus in 1963. Victor remembers that. I had a nice Volkswagen bus. And I had this thing all tuned up and ready to go. And I was leaving. I was a deacon at Calvary Chapel St. Paul. This was just my desire. Everybody knew for months before I got, I, my, my, fir my first enlistment was up. I was getting out, and in August, I was taking off, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to travel around the country and just and camp and do all these things, and that was my mission. That's what I wanted. I just wanted to, I've always wanted to travel around the United States. And the week that I was leaving, my Volkswagen engine blew up. I mean, kabooey. All right, so now i got to stay and work and make more money. So another six, seven, eight months goes along. I make money, rebuild the Volkswagen engine. Now I'm ready again. Next summer, I'm ready again. I'm ready to go. Ministry's happening. Now it's 1985, and I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go, man. Boom, the engine blows up again. What? Well, fortunately, I have some experience. I can rebuild this Volkswagen engine again, and I do it. And then 
but then things started happening at Calvary Chapel Oceanside. I was growing. The things were happening. And, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to go. I'm going to get delayed. I'm going to save up some money. And then just praying. I'm just thinking, every time the engine blew up, the devil. The devil, man. The devil. And then blew up the engine again. The devil, man. The devil doesn't want me to have fun. The devil doesn't want me to go and explain all these things. And I can tell you now the Holy Spirit was delaying all those things. It was costly. If you don't listen to the Lord and stick where you're supposed to be, it will be cost. Every time I disobey the Lord, it, it, there's money involved. There's, I just want to let you know there's a cost involved financially. That's how I know it's the Holy Spirit keeping me back. The devil, it would be all expenses paid. And so there you go. And then around July of 1986, my sister's murdered. And then after her funeral, on, we got her body back from Yugoslavia and, or Albania. And after, on July 25th, as, as we're there at the funeral having the service for my, for my sister, and just mourning that she's most likely in hell because I talked to her two days before she died and was pleading with her. To, I knew before she went, I knew she was over there that she was going to, be, she was going to die there. Holy Spirit's already shown me that. So I'm pleading with her on the phone. She doesn't give her life to the Lord. She's murdered. So at the funeral, I'm, I'm trying to grieve. And here, here's the thing about me. It really upsets people. It's hard for me to grieve because when I try to grieve, I don't, the Holy Spirit says you're not going to, God says you're not going to grieve. And I'm a bummer my sister, most likely in hell. I'm, I'm, I'm upset about that. And as I'm sitting in a funeral, it's clear as day, right there is, now it's time for you to go around the United States. Now it's time for you to go around the United States and just tell everyone about Jesus. See, the other times, I just wanted to go have fun and have an experience. You know, and I'm sure, you know, I'll tell people about Jesus. But now I have a mission. Now I have, I've always had a goal of going around the United States, but now I have a purpose. And so on that, on that day of July 25th, and, and I had a lot of things going, and, and I... And I go and I talk to my pastor and my elders and they pray for me. And we have an Acts chapter 13 experience. And they're like, yeah, we believe you're supposed to go. I said, I don't want to go. See, all the other times I, I didn't ask. I didn't get prayer. I just, I just wanted to go. You know, that's a desire and a dream that I have. That's what I want to do. And, and then I was like, well, we say in the Old Testament there that they didn't pray when they would go to battle. And we see that what happened twice. They, they got their clocks clean, didn't they? And then Joshua goes, hey, let's do something different. Let's pray. And they pray. And God says, now you're going to be victorious. Or, or, or the Gibeonites coming over. And they didn't pray. And they gave the Gibeonites, who they're supposed to wipe out in the land, they gave them free passage there. And they're like, oh, we didn't pray. They didn't seek the counsel of the Lord. Well, this time I did. I felt... So I said, well, if this is the Lord, because the Bible tells us in 1 John to test the spirits, right? I've always wanted to go around the United States. I, for the past year, I've just put it off. Haven't really saved up. I didn't, I didn't even save any money. The other two times I wanted to go, all expenses paid. I had a lot of money. I made a lot of money. I had enough money. But this time, I had $250 and a motorcycle. And gas was 32 cents a gallon. All right, so I just want to let you know what, oh, how the times have changed. And so I'm like, I'm supposed to go. Got a motorcycle. And, and a lot of other things have changed in my life. I switched from riding a Harley to riding a BMW, which I'm grateful I went around the country on a BMW, then a Harley. <laughs> and I had saddlebags and stuff, took my, took my sleeping bag. I, pastors and elders, we had an Acts chapter 13. They're like, hey, we don't want to see you go, but yeah, you're supposed to go. Keep in contact with us. So I made a lot of collect calls for prayer. And I had names and numbers of everyone that I'd, who was still alive that I served in the Marine Corps with, family I hadn't even met yet or haven't seen in a long time. And I had a purpose of going around and telling everyone about uh, Jesus because now I didn't want anybody I knew or ever came in contact with to go to hell. And just miraculous. And that's, I was going to go longer. It was going to go longer than three and a half months, but I met Kimberly. That was at the end of my motorcycle trip. I didn't know that was the end of my motorcycle trip, but when I met Kimberly, that was the end of my motorcycle trip. <laughs> but yet, even at, I could have gone to Arizona first to see my foster brother, because I didn't think I was going to make it back for his wedding. But instead, I met somebody on the road, another motorcycler, and he didn't have a place to stay the night, so I went to 
via through Vegas to stay with some friends and put them up and got to evangelize them. And him and I rode all the way from, from, from there all the way into Chicago where he's from. Or actually, I went to the, after Denver. I stayed in Denver for a week and then he went on to Chicago and I met with, with him later because I, I was going to go back home and meet family there. And, and so here's all the things that are just going on that, that I can tell you now, all those other times, it was all expenses paid. It was everything was going to be great. I was going to have a great time. But I probably wouldn't have stayed walking with the Lord because it was just all about me. Now, there was a goal and desire to see the United States, but now I had a purpose and I had a mission. And I don't want to leave you, I don't want to leave you hanging, but I'm pastoring today because of that. And so here's the thing that just comes around, but all those things. It, it's what led me later to put this together, a suggested biblical decision-making approach. Even, it's online. Listen, guys. Our website, I've designed our website. It's a working website. And you can go to this PDF files there. And so this is things that I grew up and I was discipled with. You know, when you're, when you're contemplating something, and here's some things. First, acknowledge that our methods and our ways fail. That's what I had to do. God desires humility of heart concerning our own abilities. Two, acknowledge our need of Christ's authority and power in everything that is to be blessed. I can tell you the two other times that I tried leaving and going to see the United States, I, these, these weren't considered. Pray continually and earnestly for God's direction. Well, why do I need to pray earnestly? I want to do this. What is wrong with going around the United States and having fun and, you know, telling people about Jesus because I can do that anywhere? I mean, why doesn't God want me to have fun and enjoy all of his creation? See, I had all these, these are the things that I said. These are the things that I would tell other Christians and others would pray for me. And every time my Volkswagen engine would blow up, they're like, looks like you're sticking around for a while, the older believers. Looks like you're going to be here a while. Well, now that you're going to be here a while, you got, I got something for you to do. Carefully seek to discover if any biblical principles is or are, are violated by this contemplated decision. Well, I can tell you the other two times I wanted to go, there would have been a lot of sin involved. Look for any special circumstances or special uh, commandments that apply to the contemplated decision. And again, there's a lot of scripture here that I've given. Uh, six, seek out the counsel of godly men and women. I can tell you the other time, I didn't need to seek out godly counsel women because you know, this is a desire I've always had. Even before I was a Christian, I've always wanted to do this. I, now, again, I grew up as a hippie, so I was going to hitchhike around the, the country like my brothers and sisters did. Uh, do not undertake, uh, seven, do not undertake the decision if your conscience is troubled, even if you don't know the reason why at the time. If this principle is violated, the end result is seldom a happy one, and God uses our conscience to warn us when we don't see an issue clearly enough to make a decision, I have scars all over my bodies because of number seven. Number eight, remember, remember not to make your decision on the basis of experiences of others. This is number eight is where everyone goes to. <gasps> you found your wife on the internet? Oh, that's where I need to go. Listen, <laughs> I can tell you uh, hundreds that don't for the one that might. Remember, Again, not to make your decision on the basis of the experience of others. It's impossible for you to know, know all the hidden variables. Number nine, only after you've contemplated the steps above should you look for any indications of God's will and circumstantial events in his providences. Most Christians make this the first and only step. Uh, I did. I mean, I had money. I had a Volkswagen bus. I had enough to last a few months if I did it and budgeted it all out. I could do these things. Look good. Engine blows up. Hmm, the devil. I did. I, I had prayer meetings with people. Pray, pray that my engine, that I get enough money to fix my engine. I had to use all that money. I'd say I had to fix my engine. And, let, and let, let's go, man. Pray for me. I had Christians praying, laying hands on my Volkswagen bus. Do not make serious decisions when angry, fatigued, full of pride or discouraged. Decisions so undertaken are nearly always regretted. I don't say nearly. I'll, I'll just, I, 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 I've changed some things around here to a suggested biblical decision-making approach because Christians got offended with it when it was just simply a biblical decision-making approach. Well, there's got to be other ways. Okay, fine. 
and then I adapted this, they nearly always are regretted. So I put nearly in because it says to bear up with the failings of the week, just to give you, but they're always regretted. Remember that God, number 11, God can and does overrule even our sins and errors for good if we are fully sought to serve him and to obey his word throughout the process. We can see that in Romans there. So again, God is fully in control of everything. And now they're in Europe and now they're going and they're doing these things. And where before, like, I think it was Satan. Now we know from Luke writing and, and telling us what's happening there that they know that it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know, for whatever reason, he was held up. For whatever reason, there's, it, it's, it, it's a constant thing in my life where it's rare for me not to hear the Holy Ghost leading God and directing me. There's times when I'm making the wrong turns and I'm getting frustrated and then halfway making a wrong freeway, wrong this, and about three or four bad decisions into it. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. This is probably the Lord leading me this way. Later in the news, there was some accident on the freeway or, or I've been led uh, to go to a certain place and there's an accident and we've helped save some people's lives. And this is a road that I never would have taken. I never would have done this before. Uh, so when I'm starting to make those type of decisions, I got I got to pray. Is this the Lord leading me? Is this because I normally go this way or I don't go that way? Why why am I here? And if I don't know why I'm here, uh, did I get led into a trap? What a, help me now, Holy Spirit. I just there really is nothing random in my life now anymore. Ever since, so when I set off finally in in. In July of 1986, when I finally set off on that road trip to go across America, I said, I get it. Those other two times, it was an all-expense-paid trip to help by, you know, to misery, to backsliding by the, whole, by, by the devil himself. But now I only have 250 bucks in my pocket. I don't know how I'm going to last this whole time around. Uh, but I know you want me to go here, 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 here. And, and I have prayer support. And wherever I went, I plugged into a church. I actually got a letter from my pastor. I still have it. I have to dig it out for you. He says, this is Chick Chakellis. He's a deacon in this church. We believe God sent him on this trip. Please welcome him into your fellowship if you want any information. A, a vouching for me letter. So I need a letter. I need a credential. that I'm not just out here on my own. And so I would show up to churches and say, here's a letter from my pastor. I need to hang out here. Is there anything I can do? I'm going to be here for, for a few days. Can I clean toilets? Can I do whatever? And the pastor's like, well, I go, listen, if I'm not in here cleaning toilets, I'm going to go get drunk, and I'm going to go find a woman. Do you understand? They're like, toilets are over there. I'm at, I'm, listen, I, I, I know me. That's what's going to happen. How do I know that? Because that's what I was thinking on my motorcycle. So I need to go plug. I plugged into churches, some really whacked out charismatic ones, whatever. The toilets all go the same way. I just, I just, I just, here's a letter from my pastor if you need to call him, but can I, can I just serve here? I'm part of the body. Is there anything I can do? And they're like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, that'd be great. And then I met some other guys along the road who says, sure wish I would have done that. Met quite a few black sitting Christians on their own journeys. God showed me what it would have been like if in 84 and 85 I would have gone on the road. Like, oh, they started out great. Met them halfway into their trip. That's been taking like several years now. Uh, like, oh, so here's a letter. And that's what I did. I carried a letter with me and I made myself accountable to wherever I went. And I would just be open, honest, and transparent. I was a criminal. I did these. I did all kinds of stuff. This is what I'm prone to do. Please put me to work while I'm here. Sure. I got prayer, I got that, and, and I just would plug into whatever town that I went into. That's how I operate. That's how I do, even to this day. I, even to this day. I'll leave it this one thing when it comes to the body of Christ. I, I went out to Rapid City to go see my friend. He wanted to go flying that day. It was 110 degrees. I'm in a little plane like, oh, and he wants to go over the Badlands. There, I guess there's a Badlands National Park. I think all of South Dakota is the Badlands. So we went over the National Park where the worst lands. And then we landed in Wall, where Wall Drug is. And it's only a mile and a half from the grass airstrip to the wall. And we're dying. It's 120. He's running in the shade. And then he runs over and he sees this guy pulling out of the parsonage from this church. He goes, hey, hey brother, brother. 
you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, give us a ride into town, right, brother? Can we, use, can we have some fellowship here? We're dying out here. And the guy's like, sure. We have some fellowship. That's what I do. It's the body of Christ. You can go anywhere. Make yourself accountable. This is what Paul and Timothy, and that's what Paul's modeling. And now Philippi, you'll have to read ahead. We'll finish up chapter 16 next week, but that's my attitude. That, that's my application of how I lived out these scriptures, and I still live it out to this day. But it was early on in the first couple of years of my walk to find out I learned in the first two years of my walk with the Lord what the voice of the Lord isn't. And on that motorcycle trip, I said, I don't want to go to the left or the right or do everything. And literally, I would pull over on rest stops and until God told me to move, I'd just stay there. Sometimes they were like four or five hours. Should I go? Get up and go. I don't, I don't know. That, I, I wanted to hear God. And so that's how it was worked out. I don't know how you're going to work it out. That's my experience. But when I don't hear, and I'm surprised because it's not like, it's no more like, God, why didn't you give me a heads up? It's like, okay, he didn't give me a heads up on this. What do I need to know? Was I not listening or did he try or for what purpose? But I'm here now. What do you want me to do now? So welcome to Calvary Chapel, St. Paul. You're here now. You know a week from today we're not going to be here now because that's our annual church split. I would encourage you, go get it with your other friends and ask them, do you believe Jesus will actually sit on the throne in, the, in Jerusalem as the Davidic? The King David is the covenants that God had made, the literal, actual covenants he made with the King of Israel. You'll be shocked and surprised. Don't be shocked and surprised. You're ready for it like, oh, I heard about this. You really don't think? And then when they really don't believe that Jesus is going to sit on the throne, then you're going to find out other things in their lives. This is why they might have a defeated Christian experience because they don't believe the other things in the Bible as well. They think it's left up to themselves to figure these things out. Listen, I'll be the first to boldly proclaim before you. I'm not that bright. I need the Holy Ghost, and I desire the Holy Ghost and his leading in my life. And I, I want to pray and do those things. So just because you have a desire and an umption and a gumption doesn't necessarily mean that's God saying now is the time. Lord Jesus, just do the work in our lives. As you've seen you do it with the Apostle Paul, do that with each and every one of us here this morning. God, lead and guide and direct. Confirm the things we need to put aside. God, that we need to be recommended by you and by the Holy Spirit to go do the things we're called to do. And that, Lord, that we would not let family take us out of ministry. But, Lord, we would follow you. Not friends, not family, not circumstances, not jobs, not anything else, but Lord, to follow you. Will you lead and guide and direct us? Thank you, Lord, for Calvary Chapel St. Paul and of his body of believers in Jesus' name. Amen.